welcome. It's wonderful to see you all here this morning. For anybody who doesn't know, I'm Pastor Wheezy, one of the many, many pastors here at our teeny tiny church. It just always cracks me up how God equips his churches to do what he wants done. Um, so welcome to everybody here, everybody online. We are, have finished up um, Pastor Dan's series on the, the letters that Christ wrote to the uh, churches in Revelation. And now we're going to spend several months in the book of James because our whole focus this year is doing life as the church. What does it take to be the church? So we're going to be diving into James chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. And his focus in these first four verses is being there for the long haul because he's writing this letter to people who have been scattered all over the place and they're trying to make it on their own, hanging on to each other, hanging on to Jesus, doing their best, and they're, they're suffering a lot of stuff. So let's look at the verses here. James chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. He opens up, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. And he jumps right into the hard stuff. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. This is very similar in a lot of ways to the verse where Jesus is saying, God uses everything for your good to shape you into the likeness of Jesus Christ so that he could be the firstborn among a large family. It's the same thing here. So let's pack this on a little bit, verse by verse. We're going to look at scattered among the nations facing trials of many kinds. Has anybody here faced trials of many kinds? Stick up a hand. Yeah, most of us? Yeah, if you're awake, you kind of faced a lot of trials of many kinds. Because trial is part of everyday life. Jesus said it. Paul said it, Peter said it, your mom and dad said it. Everybody knows life is trial. When you're training a dog who is going to be more in life than just a thing that runs around, when you want this dog to really get how to have good manners and how to do whatever job that dog might have, you train that dog with trials of many kinds. You don't just teach him how to answer the sit command so that he knows what sit means and how to do it. You ask him to sit in the presence of a cat. <laughs> All right, you, you, you tell a dog to sit and he does it, that's great, and then you walk the cat in front of him. And when he loses his cool and goes after the cat, then you, no, 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 we're, we're doing sit. And you keep that up. You keep doing that over and over. When he's, when he's hip to the cat, you bring a little girl on roller skates by. When he's hip to the girl on roller skates, you open the car door in front of him. You know, I mean, you keep pressing trials of many kinds until the dog, the light bulb comes on, and it dawns on him. 
it's not the cat and the girl and the car door, it's temptation. When something wants me to break my sit, I need to whip around and see what, what is it I'm supposed to actually be doing. And the dog, the light bulb comes on, and after that, you can put trials in front of that dog until you black in the face, and he's going to do what you told him to do because he knows it's just a trial. That way, you've got reliable obedience. The dog knows exactly what's expected, and you know what to expect from the dog. That's a good dog, right? I don't care if we're talking a, a little three-legged lap dog thing that's just nothing but hair and panting, or a great big, you know, Malinois who's going to be jumping up trees after criminals. Because you want the dog to be reliable. Right? What's worse than that, <laughs> what's worse than that is the dog who knows all the commands, you know? He knows how to sit and stay and, and lie down and all this stuff. But if a trial happens, if you wind up, you know, well, he's really very good. He just gets so excited, you know. That's useless, right? I mean, if we know how to follow God's commands, but we just get so excited, we're useless to him. Through trials of many kinds, the dog is made mature and complete. His obedience, her judgment, and their self-control are perfected because they've faced trials of many kinds. Here's a description of that dog. This is a dog who has complete obedience in the presence of the most extreme temptations. A dog upon whose good judgment someone could really trust their life. A blind person can trust that dog to take care of them. A dog with the stability and emotional calmness to be around small, unpredictable children who might hit it or pull its tail or poke it with an ice pick. This dog is reliable. Well, that's a dog. That's a great dog. But we're human beings. Human beings need to be perfected in more than just obedience and good judgment and calm emotional stability, although those are great things to have. So why does God have us surviving trials of many kinds? Here's what it feels like sometimes. This is a little clip here. You might enjoy this. These are trials of many kinds. <laughs> I love that movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> when God gives us trials of many kinds, our temptation is to just survive them. Just get through it somehow, right? Or sometimes if we've kind of got a little bit of a twist in our theology, we have this notion that well, I'm facing this trial because God wants to teach me something, and if I can just figure out what that is and learn it, he'll make the trial stop. If I could just learn how to forgive reliably and every time, people will stop hurting me. You ever get caught in that little thing? All right, here's the bad news. People are never going to stop hurting you. That's what people do. They're also never going to stop stepping over your stuff and not even telling you they had to, just so you know. God uses trials of many kinds 
to test our faith. Sometimes we get hung up on the word test and we, we go back to grade school and we think, ah, oh, I'm going to fail, oh, it's a test, I didn't study. But that's not the kind of test we're talking about. We're talking about testing the way you smelt gold to remove impurities from it, to make it pure and perfect. That's the kind of testing we're talking about. We're talking about testing a loaf of bread to see when it's really done. God uses trials of many kinds to test our faith, to purify it and make it perfect. Well, our faith in what? Anybody else here besides me, and I do it, have tried to have faith in yourself? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. Obviously not that. Our faith is our faith that God is, most of us are there, that God is powerful and personal, and above all, that God is good. Because we can't help ourselves, we tend to think of God as the big sheriff in the sky who's kind of out to, to get us, right? Even though we know better. The testing of our faith is designed to help us really get it into our cells, into the marrow of our bones, that God is good. But that's just an idea until we live it out. Some of us are very concrete people who are really in tune with right, right now and living it out right here. I tend to be very abstract. I conceptualize everything. So God needs to help me get real. That's how it works for me. Because until we live out our faith in God, we're just surviving. We're just surviving the trials. And I've got news for you, friends. Surviving is what you're going to do anyway all your life until you die. That's surviving. That's not the point here. We have to come to believe through experience that God is who he says he is. As we begin to believe God intimately, through experience, by proving it over and over and over, our faith in God begins to become mature and complete, lacking nothing. And again, when I read that, I tend to kind of make it into an abstract idea. But think about this. What is mature, complete faith in God's goodness? What does that look like? Well, we know what it looks like. It looks like love and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and self-control. You want that? Do you want to be that mature? <laughs> Do you? I, I want to hear it. I want to hear it. Do you want that? Yeah. yeah. It's hard to want something that good because we spent all our lives not wanting too much. Have you noticed when you're about this big, you learn to not want too much because you're going to get disappointed? No. That's testing our faith that we are going to actually be able to step into that because God is good. All right? So what is perseverance? God uses trials of many kinds to test our faith because testing our faith produces perseverance. 
The Greek word perseverance literally means to remain under. It's the picture of a person standing under the pressure of a heavy weight for a long time. Okay? Sounds fun, doesn't it? <laughs> perseverance, here's a better way to look at it. Perseverance is growing up to draw your strength and endurance from the goodness and presence of God. In spite of the fact that all of life is trials of many kinds in a fallen world with fallen people where you and everyone you love and everyone who annoys you is fallen. That's fun, right? And the trials will only end when you die. That's why you need perseverance. And that's why perseverance purifies and perfects and matures our faith. Because we're in it for the long haul, like it or not. We can either participate in it and get the good from it and be filled with God's Holy Spirit or not. We can just survive till you die. God wants to give us endurance and resilience and courage and perfect peace. And we tend to hear that and think, I've got to produce that stuff. I've got to endure. I've got to have courage. I've got to be, make somehow perf perfect peace happen to myself. But that's not what God's up to. He's not making us be enduring and brave and have perfect peace. Instead, he's using trials of every kind to burn away from us our temptation to rely on our own strength and bravery and fake peace. Perseverance is following Jesus everywhere, no matter what the temptation is to give up on him. And sometimes Jesus goes through some pretty rough, nasty ground in an effort to help us focus on him because we're going to be tempted to give up on him and go back to relying on ourselves. That ever happened to you? Yeah? Yeah. All the time, right? Okay. We're going to go, well, we're not going to go. <laughs> I'm going I'm to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No trial, this is Paul, no trial has overtaken you that is not faced by others. Paul is also writing to people who are enduring all kinds of persecution. He says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But with the trial, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to endure it. And I tend to read this as God is going to give me a way out of the trial so that I can endure it. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about God will give me a way out through the trial so that my faith can endure it. Remember when Jesus was praying and he, he was talking to Peter? I mean, this was after the resurrection and Peter's been through the whole, you know, feed my sheep and why, why would you say that to me? And Jesus says, Peter, I'm praying for you because Satan wants to sift you like wheat. I want you to endure through that so that you can strengthen your brothers. That's, that's the endurance he's talking about. So that our faith will endure through the trials and become pure. Because what's the way out? The way out is Jesus. Hanging on to Jesus, receiving strength and courage and whatever it takes 
from Jesus instead of from myself because I'm, again, just a chimp with clothes on. I don't have what it takes. Amen? Yeah. If you don't have what it takes, sing it out. Yeah. Okay. Okay, we're on the track. All right. Okie dokie. Perseverance takes courage for that very reason. Not the courage to get through it somehow, but the courage to let go of it and rely on Jesus to receive what he wants to give us. It's scary. It's like stepping off a cliff into, you know, daddy's arms. Is daddy really there? Yeah. Eugene Peterson used to call this a long obedience in the same direction. Isn't that great? I love that. That, to me, that's almost like a, a Bible verse, if you will. Long obedience in the same direction. C.S. Lewis pointed out, he said, courage is not simply one of the virtues. It is the shape of every virtue at the testing point. Every virtue requires courage when it's being tested. My faith is being tested constantly, so I constantly need courage from God. And what is the word that God gives me that gives me courage? I got you. I'm with you. I already saved you. You're on the right track. I got you. Over and over and over. That's where my courage comes from. So let's go to the line that says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. I was, I was Googling that phrase, <laughs> and one of my favorite commentators, he starts off his comment, consider it pure joy, and he goes, really? <laughs> Seriously? So he does a little paraphrase of that. We're going to uh, go to Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4 where Paul says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, that's perseverance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. All these things grow on each other. Each time I trust God, it gets bigger. Rejoicing in our trials is a choice, because if we don't consider it pure joy, if we don't lean into God. It's just a trial. It's just another one of the bricks in the wall. But if I'm facing a trial and I'm reminding myself what God is up to, what is God up to? He's making my faith fully mature so that I can have joy and patience and all the goodies. Being like Jesus is our greatest joy. Again, how much do you want your heart to be full of love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and self-control? Do you want that? That's being like Jesus. And rejoicing in trials does not mean that we can't do proper mourning. You can mourn and also rejoice at the same time. Has anybody here lost somebody they love? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. You rejoice for them and you mourn for yourself. It bites that we have to lose them for a while. And it's deep joy knowing that they're okay. They're better than okay. Right? Right? Yeah. Thank you. So we have to have perseverance with ourselves because we are a work in progress and we're getting there and Jesus is with us. 
Dennis has a thing that he sometimes goes to where he says, wow, ministry is awesome if it wasn't for the people. <laughs> yeah, been there? Yeah, yeah. Persevering with each other. That's where it can really get hard sometimes. And that's, believe me, the big guns, the big guns of walking in the kingdom with Jesus is loving each other because we can be tough to love sometimes, even when we're trying hard. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run a risk here. I want you to close your eyes. I hope I don't lose you. <laughs> close your eyes. We're going to spend a few minutes in prayer. Lord, I ask that you would give each one of us a picture of a relationship in which we are stuck in an unhealthy place. Now, as you pray silently to yourself, ask God, what kind of fruit of the Holy Spirit does he need to bear in you in this relationship? Now ask God to please show you what you will be doing differently in this relationship when you are moving in his spirit and bearing that fruit. What will you be doing? Thank you, Father. Please come back to me. Every head up, every eye open. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so... That's that relationship. Who else in your life, who do you think has had to put up with the most from you? It, you know, it, it doesn't matter if that person's alive or, or gone. <laughs> Who's had to put up with stuff from you that maybe you didn't even know they were putting up with it? What does that person need from you that you could give them today? And I don't care if they're gone. If they're gone, you can still thank them, you know, whatever. Put that on your assignment list for this week. Because we're moving now into how. How do we persevere? Okay? Because trials are inevitable. And because trials are inevitable, therefore change is inevitable. Have you changed since you were three years old besides getting bigger? Yeah. Mostly because you've been through trials of many kinds. Change is inevitable, but growth is only intentional. That never happens by accident. You have to accept it. You have to want it. You have to pay attention to it. Growth is intentional. In John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus says, remember, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you will grow. You will bear fruit, a lot of fruit. That's how we persevere. We remain in Jesus. We continue to reach out and grab his hand. We continue to call on his name. We continue to roll over at three in the morning and go, oh God. We remain in Jesus. That's how we do it. The second half of that verse goes back to trials of many kinds. He says, you know, and my father is the vine dresser. He's going to come through and prune you so that you can bear more fruit. He's going to cut away the dead stuff and the wasty stuff and the diseased stuff. And that's going to be a trial of a specific kind. Right? Okay. 
on to some fun here. Uh, most of you know who Johnny Erickson Tata is, right? She was of that generation that most of us belong to. Sorry, you young folks. Uh, but for those of you who don't know, she was a, a diver, and when she was in her late teens, she made a dive and broke her neck and has been a quadriplegic ever since. Here's what she has to say about how to persevere through trials of many kinds because her life has been nothing but. She says, I hope I can take my wheelchair to heaven with me. I know that's not biblically correct, but if I were able, I would have my wheelchair up there in heaven right next to me when God gives me my brand new glorified body. And then I will turn to Jesus and say, Lord, you see that wheelchair right there? You were right when you said that in this world we would have trouble because that wheelchair was a lot of trouble. But Jesus, the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger and more generous I discovered you to be. So thank you for what you did in my life through that wheelchair. And now you can send it to hell. I love her. Okay. Another commentator that I found named J.D. Walt, he's the one who, was, who started off his comment saying, you know, seriously, we're supposed to consider this pure joy? You're kidding, really? He says, okay, how about this? Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when you get diagnosed with cancer or when you have to declare bankruptcy or when you just lost your job or when you just got served divorce papers. How we think about tests and challenges will determine the outcome they produce in our lives. Tests and challenges can utterly ruin people or renovate them. We are not to be broken by the trials, but broken by God in the midst of our trials. Ow. To be broken by God means to be healed of our sick and willful ways of dealing with life. To be broken by God means to finally come to the place where we can admit that we do not have what it takes, that we have exhausted our resources, and in the end of our rope, that we are poor in spirit. It means to finally be brought to the place where we are ready for an entirely new way of living life. God's way, filled with God's power, moment by moment. This is how our faith is perfected. Hard to hear, but then, as Dan likes to say, it's simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. Is it worth the struggle? I mean, it is a struggle. But is it worth it? I, you know, Jamie has to forgive me here. I think about running a marathon. You know, that takes a lot of juice to run a marathon. A lot of training. A lot of perseverance. A lot of perseverance. A lot of perseverance. <laughs> but is it worth it? I mean, yeah, you, you get healthier. Yeah, you breathe some fresh air. Yeah, you may make some friends. Yeah, you complete the thing and you feel good. But is it really worth that kind of struggle? Is it easier to go through that kind of preparation and training and struggle and endurance and effort when you know it's really 
worth it. It's worth the investment of a whole life. That's what I want to know. In Ephesians, Paul says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. If you're fighting cosmic evil, is it worth it? Or do you just want to surrender? You just want to survive? Because if you just want to survive, in the end, evil's going to get you. Is it worth the fight? Who in your life has inspired you by the tenacity of their courage and their face in the face of life's hardships and discouragement? What will it be like for you, standing in heaven, to see that person get their well done, good and faithful servant? What will it mean to you to see them get their reward? Do you want that? Do you want that? Yeah. It brings tears to me just even trying to say it. So how do you think that great cloud of witness, the whole church through all the ages, and the people here, even people in this room, feel about you and your reward? Do they want that for you? Is it worth it to give them that treat? <laughs> I mean, forget the treat you get. Is it worth it to give them that? Yeah. Yeah, it totally is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Paul says, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The trials you endure are not in vain. In Galatians, he says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Peter says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord from the dead and into an inheritance that can never fade or perish or spoil. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice though now for a little while you have had to face trials of all kinds. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though it's refined by fire, the proven worth of the genuineness of your faith may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Is it worth it? 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to close this up by just oozing through Revelation, all the church letters that, that Dan has been reading to us and preaching to us about. Every last one of them, there's a promise if you endure. Jesus says to one, the one who conquers and keeps my works until the end, to that person I will give authority over the nations. To another, he says, to the one who conquers, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. To another, he says, to the one who conquers, I will make them a pillar in the temple of my God and they shall never have to go out of it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. Is it worth it? And to another, he says, to the one who conquers, you will not be hurt by the second death. That's judgment day. Why is it pure joy to face trials of many kinds when we face them with God? Again, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. You want that? Is it worth it? Yeah. To be mature and complete, not lacking anything, that is the literal definition of shalom, the Jewish word for perfect peace that passes understanding. To be mature and complete, not lacking anything. We're going to have communion this Sunday. And I'd like you to consider thinking of this communion as practicing receiving strength and favor and hope and blessing from our Lord, which is possible because of his living body and blood, which are given to us forever as we face trials of many kinds for the perfecting of our faith in his goodness. Holy Father, Thank you so much that you are good, that your goodness has no top, no bottom, no sides, no beginning, no end, and we are in the middle of your goodness forever. Amen.